from the Mercy One Studio. Making it personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Musher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Paul Lee, Iowa State Deputy of the Knights of Columbus. Paul is the youngest and first African-American state deputy in his jurisdiction's history. We'll talk to him about his role with the Knights, Black History Month, Blessed Michael McGivney, and more. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on Bishop's mind. I'm sure it'll be a lively conversation with Paul. Yes. He's, a, he's quite a fellow as well. Mm-hmm. So, And uh, here we're coming up on Sunday, uh, Valentine's Day, you know, a feast of love, a lot of love in the air this weekend. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the nation's chocolate supply will go down and the roses and everything else. But, of course, on Sunday, the real feast of love is the Eucharist and the feast of love between God and his marriage with us in our humanity and the person of Jesus and how the Eucharist continues to extend that to be the, the heart of the church and all that we're about. And my, my proposed initiative, which some of you are aware of, is that there's so much Eucharistic adoration already happening out there around the diocese. We think of St. Augustine's perpetual adoration mm-hmm. and other parishes as well. But I'd like to, to really Really accent that, intensify our prayers uh, with a spirit of Eucharistic renewal, that people's Eucharistic appetite doesn't uh, grow weary in any way, though some may still like to stay away. And so we're trying to charge our parishes to to sponsor particular holy hours dedicated to Eucharistic renewal, and with that also that God will give us the vision and the the hearts of flame to take up our mission now in this particular point in time in history, in this particular local church, the Diocese of Des Moines. And so we'll, I'll be initiating that at the uh, Diocese of Des Moines at the St. Ambrose Cathedral. We started this past Monday, our first time, Mondays from 5 to 6 p.m. That's one place that people would be invited to present. We certainly encourage you to support your local parish, uh, but we'll be live streaming that as well, and there are resources as well for, for people who at home would like to pray along in a Eucharistic spirit and deepen our solidarity in the most saving and blessed sacrament, too. So, And uh, I've composed some reflections uh, for four, four of the weeks, uh, mm-hmm. so those are available as a resource for people as well. But we're really asking Jesus, to, as we pass through the pandemic, that uh, the manna from heaven, which is the Eucharist, that, that continues to sustain us and that we become ever more the church God wants us to be along the way. Of course, then following the heels, we've got Ash Wednesday, next uh, Wednesday the 17th, and the Congregation for the Sacraments of the Vatican issued a directive to all the, the churches around the world, including in the United States, that, you know, though Matthew 6, uh, you know, that saying, you know, Try not to look like you're fasting or performing penitential works. We always have, as Americans, that custom of imposing ashes on the forehead. That will not happen this year. This year, the, as with many of our northern European and other continents, uh, the sprinkling of the ashes on one's head, on top of one's head. So, Kelly, I don't know what you think about that, you know. I mean, uh, I prefer the, the cross. <laughs> you prefer the cross on the forehead. Yeah, it'll be So, it'll be so people should be well aware of what they're getting into. Right. I mean, I think Ash Wednesday is just a... Literally a magnetic draw for people. You know, people may, some of them think it's a day of obligation, mm-hmm. but it's a voluntary day where we recognize that we are sinners in need of God's mercy. And so the sprinkling on top allows us to keep our faces clean and washed. <laughs> uh, the priest or deacon or other associated minister, the priest likely, since he will be saying, you know, the familiar charge, you know, uh, repent and believe in the gospel or remember that you are dust and to dust you return over the entire congregation. So it'll be actually silent moment of encounter when people present themselves 
themselves for the sprinkled ashes, not the imposed ashes on the forehead. And of course, the other Lenten practices, prayer and fasting, very much in accord with our civilized Iowa. Uh, you know, I think we'll hear from Paul about the kind of spirit of dialogue that we want mm-hmm. to have with people, some of whom may not be as respectful of our human dignity or our particular positions on issues that uh, affect us in our societies too. So I think the kind of extra spiritual leverage uh, for those practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving during this uh, season of Lent. As we think about Black History Month as well, uh, we're certainly as Americans looking for the you know, Blessed Michael McGivney, uh, beatified, but servant of God Augustus Tolton, born to enslaved parents, who's in line to become the first canonized United States African-American saint, born you know, to enslaved parents, ultimately found himself not far from uh, Paul's uh, home neck of the woods there, uh, north on the river at Quincy, and various things drawn then by the Franciscans to Catholic education and a student at Quincy University, but ultimately to Rome and to the priesthood before dying after laboring so hard in the Diocese of Springfield in Chicago. So uh, our first African-American saint of prophetic service, priestly ministry, and uh, dedication even unto death. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Catholic Women Now provided in part by Permar Security, providing security solutions for homes and businesses since 1953. Permar Security is a Catholic-owned family business supplying security systems, access control systems, video surveillance, fire alarm systems, and video doorbells. All alarm systems are monitored out of their monitoring center located in the state of Iowa. Permar Security permarsecurity.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Dowling Catholic Sports is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic. With two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Craig Harper, the Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at 60th and Ashworth in West Des Moines. 515-440-4610 or online ashworthvision.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. On today's show, we're visiting with Paul Lee, Iowa State Deputy of the Knights of Columbus. Paul is the youngest and first African-American state deputy in his jurisdiction's history. We'll talk to him about his role with the Knights, Black History Month, Blessed Michael McGivney, founder of the Knights, and more. Good morning, Paul. Thank you for being with us on the show here. And we certainly always uh, love to have the Knights of Columbus, the great friends, and the support that they offer to all the four dioceses in Iowa. But uh, you're just one of the most dynamic and spirit-led guys uh, I, I know in my my circle of people. So you know, it's obvious why you know the Knights saw you as a uh, a man in full, you know, to take leadership role here as state deputy in that way. So thank you for coming on here in February. Uh, we know that uh, some of the events that the Knights would have been involved to uh, advance life issues and the day, of, you know, for uh, a kind of day for life that we had been looking at as bishops in March. We're going to try and wait till next year. But uh, so just to kind of want to, you know, it's making it personal with Bishop Johnson to hear a little bit about your personal story and then kind of feed into the, the responsibilities and, and, and Black History Month and Michael McGivney, Father McGivney as well. So uh, you're originally a Missourian, right? A show me man, right? <laughs> I am. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me on. I am a, a proud St. Louisan. Uh, grew up in downtown. And uh, one of the cool things, if you look at my sacramental record, uh, my first number of sacraments were all done by the same priest. Uh, baptism, first reconciliation, and Holy Eucharist. 
and then the priest became an auxiliary bishop. At the same time, I was eligible for confirmation, so he, uh, you know, conferred on me the right of confirmation as well. Uh, so I, I'm indebted to uh, that priest, and he's uh, now serving as a great archbishop uh, in the state of Kansas. Okay. Okay. So Archbishop Nauman, is that right? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's right. You know, St. Louis has kind of created a lot of bishops in Region 9, I think, you know, yeah. kind of a spiritual paternity. So so you're, you've been comfortable fraternizing with the Episcopacy a long time before you were <laughs> nice as well. But am I right that you were not formally raised Catholic? Your dad was Catholic, but that that was something that happened a little bit later uh, in life. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So I started out... Um, started out as Presbyterian, and then we moved to the Missionary Baptist tradition, and that, for me, exposed me to the history of the Bible, uh, which is something that's a very strong tenet of that faith tradition, and knowing Bible passages and being able to relate them to everyday life, um, and that's something that I've carried with me, just kind of part of who I am, is being able to quote scripture scripture and explain it. So coming into the Catholic faith, for us initially, it was an opportunity to try to bring the whole family together and bring us back to regular practicing of the Catholic faith. And it also helped that we were going to a Catholic school at the time. Um, And I discovered the rituals and the traditions and that continuity that really brought me in on being a Catholic Christian. Okay, so kind of an ecumenical household with your mom and your dad. Your dad wasn't opposing that, but you were in that culture, as you say, with the school and the traditions as well. I don't know if there were religious sisters at the time or if that was something that, uh, you know, mainly a lay uh, faculty, lay teachers. It started out with religious sisters, and as we have progressed through the years, there was fewer and fewer. Uh, But the community was very centered around having strong Catholic education. You know, St. Louis has always been known for strong Catholic education with the Jesuits and the Christian brothers and just the Dawson schools. Um, So it was just kind of a, that's what you do. Everybody in my neighborhood went to the Catholic school, whether you were Catholic or not. That was the source of, you know, education. That was the source of social interaction. That was the source for, you know, social justice. Everything in the entire neighborhood centered around our Catholic school and the Catholic parish. So you mentioned social justice. You mentioned social justice. What was one facet of social justice that you witnessed uh, growing up? You know, so every year, um, right before the start of the school year, there was a big festival. Uh, and it was not just school supplies, but they brought in doctors that did, um, you know, medical checks for the entire community, they had dentists there. Uh, and it was just, it was remarkable to see the number of other social services that would come in and just be there. And you had those who were marginalized because of income or because of ethnicity or because they were a single parent, whether it be a single dad or a single mom, all gravitating to the parish because they knew the parish was there to support them wherever they were. And it wasn't because of their 
religious beliefs, rather it was because they were just people of God, and this is what Catholics do. Oh, that's a, a marvelous witness. Truly being church, recognizing human dignity without any kind of exclusive claim over you know the acts of uh, support, justice, and charity. So fast-forwarding, uh, you end up in Iowa, up in uh, the Cedar Falls, the Cedar Valley region, and, and things, and uh, life really begins to unfold. New things happen. It does. It does. So I ended up here uh, to pursue graduate studies at the University of Northern Iowa, due to a relationship uh, in my undergrad career. And while here, I found the Catholic students that are on campus. It was very easy to find because it's down the street from my apartment. <laughs> and while there, I saw a young It wasn't because that, you were uh, stumbling by it after being on the hill, right? No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there, there might have been a stumble once or twice, but was because it was, I heard the church bells. Uh, at 10.15, it's like, oh, it's time to go to Mass. <laughs> but while we'll we'll there, stick. I, That's uh, your story. You're sticking to it. Okay. That's good. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, so while there, I, uh, I found a young lady that uh, had spit me in the eye. And before um, encountering Cedar Falls for the first time, I had pursued and discern for a while a calling to the priesthood. Um, ah. And knew that that was, you know, service to the church was something that I knew God wanted of me. I just needed to figure out where exactly his avenue of service was going to be. Um, so I thought initially I was coming to you and I in Cedar Falls to really get clarity, to move away from St. Louis, and to really discern, okay, after grad school, will I go back to the priesthood? Is it Dobson priesthood? Is it, um, you know, some order such as the Josephites or the Jesuits, which mm -hmm. uh, were the only two religious orders that I had had significant encounters with? And then God put now my now bride into my life, and. I say, um, Amanda was, was the answer to your <laughs> discernment and prayers. It was the answer to the discernment, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, as my uh, youngest brother Tom would say, you may have outkicked your coverage there. So yeah. way to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, oh, very practical. You shared with me that the, the date of the wedding at St. Stephen's Catholic Student Center, uh, you, 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 that was not just by accident. Is that right? <laughs> no, it was, it was not by accident that that was the church. Uh, in addition to that, where we met, uh, I proposed to her outside the front door, and we had always said, I had said that we're getting married, something that I would like to do is to get married close to Christmas or close to Easter. And while I would like to take credit that there's some deep theological connection between marriage and bringing families together and the seasons of Easter and Christmas, it was very practical because... The church is already decorated for those two times of the year, and that's less things we have to do. Um, so, <laughs> always a good steward. Yeah, that's a, that, that'll serve you, a state deputy, right? <laughs> exactly. Just being a good steward of resources. Yeah, there's more money for for seminary and education. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
as well. So, you know, the, the greater Waterloo Cedar Falls region, I'm somewhat familiar with it. I understand you might have a, uh, a damaging picture of me as a young, uh, newly ordained associate at Sacred Heart <laughs> on the near west side of Waterloo. Uh, I love my time in Waterloo. My mom, a native of the east side of Waterloo, actually. But uh, a different culture than uh, St. Louis, and yet the African-American community is present there in a certain degree. Um, but it's it's uh, more homogeneously Northern European. Did you feel that as a man coming to to Cedar Falls, or uh, was there something that that uh, you know that was it was a good fit, or was there anything you kind of had to work through? There have there were times initially, and I would say there are still times today that there are moments or incidents that have to be worked through. Um, my parents did a very good job of exposing my brothers and myself, I'm the oldest of three, to many different cultures and many different situations. Uh, and it was one that they knew that they had a feeling that we would be called to be in diverse populations. So they wanted to make sure that we knew how to survive. And part of that stems from my mom's uh, early career of her military service, my dad, you know, being a pioneer in the commercial lending scene in St. Louis, where they had to fight through a lot of those uh, racial and ethnic integration that they wanted to give us that exposure so we felt more comfortable being in a unique situation. So moving here to Cedar Falls, Waterloo, I immediately felt it felt uh, welcoming because people were very genuine and that helped to overcome some of those encounters that aren't so pleasant. Uh, and now raising, you know, three mixed race kids, uh, my kids have less of those things to encounter. And I think that's a, I know that's a good thing because as a community, we have evolved in, our, uh, in our intentional thinking and in the way we encounter with one another. Mm-hmm. And so your parents really were kind of prophetic in that way and visionary about how to, to, to help form you to encounter you know, the cross as well as you know, the, the, the communion that is, is present among people, both uh, as Catholic Christians and, and beyond. Uh, you mentioned being a dad. Uh, your concerns, you know, when we know the, the images of last uh, uh uh, last uh, summer are, are very vividly etched, and that's not something we just simply passed through or passed over. As a dad, what are your concerns for future living in this time of unrest and, and racial justice and equality? What kind of counsel would you give not only your sons, but uh, all of us? You know, as the events of the last 18 months unfolded, it gave us an opportunity to you know, speak on the root of um, you know, the root cause of these events. And for us, it came down to a basic lack of respect for the dignity of the human person. And that's what we have tried to teach our three kids uh, each and every day, is that no matter what you look like, what you sound like, you know, what clothes you wear or, you know, what food you eat, there is a basic level of human decency that should be extended and in our house, we tie it to faith. Rather, it is something that doesn't necessarily have to be tied to faith because 
people at their very core should be good people. Uh, we very much believe that you're not born a bad person. You're taught how to be a bad person. Uh, and you're taught how to do evil things. And so as our kids are being shaped by the events of, you know, these last 18 months and the events of history, it's how do you put that in perspective and how did we deviate from that basic level of human decency to where we are today and how to bring that back? And some of it starts with basic things like offering a smile, holding a door, saying good morning, um, saying I'm sorry, truly listening to understand instead of listening to respond or react. Uh, and then, you know, as they get older, based on the situations, things can get more in detail. But if we all take those basic steps, uh, it's my prayer and it's my belief that we can overcome a lot of the hatred that uh, has been portrayed and that has occurred in, uh, in our various communities. Well, that's a beautiful thing, and a message, you know, not only of the gospel of life, but of Pope Francis, you know, Fratelli Tutti. We were all brothers and sisters, but those very simple things that he always enjoins on us, you know, I'm sorry, uh, please, thank you. And so you're an, an ambassador of that, and so those little things. But uh, it also means you, you, you bear a certain yoke. So we have a, our first uh, African-American cardinal in the United States, Cardinal Wilton Gregory of the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. You're the first African-American uh, state deputy. Um, and you're, I think you're well through your second year. Is that right? I mean, so you I, I, I am. So this is moving very quickly here, right? I mean. <laughs> that was, you know, growing up, Dad always said that time never slows down. And as you get older, you realize that it only speeds up. And days become hours and hours become minutes um, and that you have to just keep going. And, you know, having kids at three different stages of life, um, I am starting to see the wisdom in his comments of um, time never stops. Ah. A father's wisdom. So, so we've come up. Uh, we're about ready to take a break. I'd love to come back with you, and you can uh, share with us your your perspectives on Blessed Michael McGivney, a kind of a, a luminous uh, recognition by the Church given here this past fall, and uh, why his spirit is alive and well. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making a Personal with Bishop Johnson. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Catholic Women Now provided in part by Permar Security, providing security solutions for homes and businesses since 1953. Permar Security is a Catholic-owned family business supplying security systems, access control systems, video surveillance, fire alarm systems, and video doorbells. All alarm systems are monitored out of their monitoring center located in the state of Iowa. Permar Security. 515-244-5660, permarsecurity.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com.
Welcome back. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. We are back with Paul Lee, State Deputy, the Knights of Columbus. Thanks for remaining with us here. So, uh, blessed Michael McGivney, Father McGivney, who uh, the cause for canonization has long been in the works, but uh, the church has recognized him. So, uh, whether you were able to be present for that uh, grand event in Connecticut, just uh, how your your take on Father McGivney and how he's such a, at the core of the charism of the Knights of Columbus. I really long for the story of Father McGivney. Uh, when you think of just his age, you know, the fact that he was in his 30s when he had this idea of starting this group for men who were otherwise shunned because of their faith uh, throughout society. And he said, you know, we need to bring people together because of our faith, and we need to show the world and show our world that our faith and the people that subscribe to it can make a difference for our local communities. And uh, so his story and his legacy that has brought about the Knights of Columbus um, has been inspiring. And I was honored to not be in Hartford, Connecticut at the Mass of Beatification, rather to be in New Haven at the church where his mortal remains are entombed at that precise moment of his beatification. Much grace indeed, much grace indeed. I've yet to make that pilgrimage, but that's on my that's on my list here. So, but uh, yeah, and uh, you know, you talked about your own experience of social justice. He really was uh, an apostle of social justice, trying to look after uh, families who had lost the the, the breadwinner or, or things, and provide that mean that kind of social safety net for them. Absolutely, and I, you know, it's just a a pioneer of how a priest working with his faithful can come about wondrous things for not just the parish, but the entire community all. And, you know, you read some of his you know, stories of being able to bring food and clothes and other, you know, material things to families, often in the cloak of darkness and without any public recognition or uh, awareness, but just because that's what God calls us to do. That's what we are supposed to, how we're supposed to respond to the um, to the invitation to serve from our Heavenly Father. Um, so a, a very uh, prophetic man indeed, and um, it's truly an honor to follow in that footsteps. Yeah. And we think of so many hidden saints, but uh, God does uh, grace some, and the, the criterion, which uh, Pope John Paul II and uh, Pope Francis, simplifying that process, requiring only one miracle for beatification, one for sanctity. What was that miracle that uh, confirmed uh, that this is uh, one of God's friends in heaven? So the miracle came through the uh, young man named Michael McGivney Shackley. Uh, he was a young boy that while in his mother's womb had uh, medical defects um, that should have resulted in being terminal. In addition, it was known beforehand that he would uh, have the Down syndrome chromosome. And uh, the family and the community prayed through the intercession of Father McGivney to not heal the Down syndrome because that wasn't the wish of the family, but to heal the uh, heart defect. And when he was born, there was no more heart defect, and um, medical studies can't determine how that happened. Uh, so we believe by faith it was through the intercession of Father McGivney. Truly that remarkable. He was able to heal yeah. uh, little Mikey. 
Yeah, and again, the criterion is never for medical science to confirm a miracle, but to say we can't explain this by natural scientific means as well. So, so uh, you know, I, we're down to about the last uh, 20 seconds here, unfortunately. I know one of your, your great uh, emphases is to try and recruit younger men. You yourself were 19 when you became a knight, I believe, and to, to bring them in. Obviously, our seminarians are uh, beneficiaries of, of your g- generous support, but also I think many of them are invited to become knights. So uh, I think on college campuses and my former experience at Loris College, that the college campus, you know, had a certain role in calling men to this uh, charism. So we could obviously go on longer, but I look forward to future collaboration with you, Paul. And thank you for taking time with us this morning. Absolutely. It's really a pleasure to uh, speak to you, Bishop, and thank you for your uh, leadership and your support of the Knights and the Church overall. This has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thank you to our guests and all of our listeners. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com.